Thank you, Father, that none of us are exempt from you speaking through us. Well, I thank you for what you have given Paul today. And I pray that you'd open up our hearts and our spirits to receive the word of the Lord. I just had that picture when I was praying for Paul earlier on, uh, of that picture of the, of the mother bird or the father bird coming into the nest and the, and the chicks kind of opening their mouths really wide and screaming really loud that they would get fed. I just had a sense today that there's something in the heavenlies for us. But we need to open our mouths. The Bible says, open your mouth and he'll fill it. And we need to open our mouths today to receive the word of the Lord. And you know what? You could receive something that Paul doesn't even say. <laughs> That's sometimes how God works. But we bless him. Um, so I'm going to hand over to Paul. Thank Go you. for it, my friend. Right. Can you hear me, everybody? Yeah. Yay. Right. Okay. So um, I'm very surprised to be here. Uh, I'm not a preacher. I've written a book. I'm not an author. Yes. Hallelujah. And I've been... Uh, I've been greatly blessed for my 10 years here at, at the Bay. Uh, I've been asked to talk about Zechariah, uh, which is um, in the, we're doing the, the prophets, rebuilding the ancient ruins. But I'm going to be talking from an ancient Hebrew culture perspective. Because we have our own understanding of God, but I guarantee that Abraham had a different understanding of many of the things that we hold so dear. But his experience of God was actually the experience of a son and God became his father. That's the blessing of Abraham. So I'm going to be talking about ancient Hebrew culture. Now Zechariah was the son of Berechiah. Berechiah itself means blessed of Yah. And the greatest blessing of Yah is of course himself. So Jesus says, hi guys, here I am. In Hebrew that's Yah. So hallelujah, it's not hallelujah, it's hallelujah. <laughs> and it's not Jehovah, it's Yehovah. Amen. Jehovah is called the sacred tetragrammaton. It's what yod he vav in Hebrew. And it means I am, I was, and I will be to come. Yeah. come Jesus means I am, I was, and I will be to come, come your saviour. Hallelujah. Now, Zechariah is from the Hebrew Zachar, which means to remember. But in Hebrew, to remember doesn't mean what we think. We think Remembrance Sunday is standing every Sunday and thinking about war and death and how sad it is. But in Hebrew culture, to remember meant to do something on a memory. And so when Jesus was on the cross, on his left and on his right were two criminals being crucified. One of them was partnering with the devil, and he said, if you're the son of God, save yourself and save me. But the other guy said, Jesus, when you come in your kingdom, please remember me. Now, he didn't say, please can I go to heaven when I die, because that wasn't part of their culture. This guy God had revealed to this guy that Jesus was actually Zechariah. Because it means, I am the one who will remember you. And God is remembering us today. That's why he's here. Hallelujah. That's what Zechariah means. So Jesus is actually Zechariah, the God who remembers. Now before we can 
find out what the ruin, how to rebuild the ruins, we have to understand what ruined everything. And so what I'm going to do is talk about the beginning. So in the beginning it says God created the heavens and the earth. Hallelujah. And it said that the earth was void and formless and the breath of God hovered over the face of the deep. Whatever you think spirit is, Abraham didn't. Abraham had a different understanding of the word spirit to what we have today, which is fine, different culture. For Abraham, the spirit is actually the personality of God. It's what is inside God. So the spirit of God is God's feelings, God's thoughts, God's desires, God's strength, God's power, God's might. Everything that's in God is his breath or spirit. And the best definition would be the breathings of God's personality. That's the Spirit of God. So it says in the beginning, this breath of God, or the Spirit of God, was hovering over the face of the deep, but nothing happened. And why did nothing happen? Because God hasn't said anything yet. Okay, it's when God speaks that everything changes. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you dogs, I added that, you dogs, he said. He called them serpents. He said in John 5, 37, you have not heard the voice of God, nor have you seen his form. So it's commonly taught in churches that God is this whiffly waffly spirity thing, but God has a form. He can be seen. In Greek it's the word eidos. So God said, let there be light. Okay, now the light, when God said let there be light, he wasn't talking about electromagnetic radiation, the stuff that's around us here. God has been known as God in different ages and by different beings. So the angels know God in one way. The demons know God in a different way. The devil knows God in a particular way. But the greatest and most incredible knowledge of God is as a son knows his father. And it says in John, in him was light, and that light, or in him was life, and that light was the light of men. And so what God wants you to know is he wants to be known as a father by his son. And so when God created the animals, he just said, be an animal. And there was an animal, you know, be a cow, you know, okay, be a cow. You get them in the office, you know what I mean? Anyway, he said, that's... You know I'm talking about, oh, Father, bless the cows. If God blesses them, <laughs> they wouldn't be cows, would they? Hallelujah. So, so what happened was God decided to create you, but he didn't just speak you into existence. God did some mud pies. He was down at the beach at Whitley, and he was squeezing some sand together, and he made you out of the clay. And then God himself, God is one in Hebrew culture, he's not three. God, in, God bent down and breathed himself into you. So you became the person that was filled with the personality of God. You knew how God felt, you knew how God thought, you knew how he desired, you knew his will. You actually had his character, you had his behavior, you became a reflection or the image of the visible, invisible God in the visible world. And what God did was, he did something amazing. He said to Adam, now we were all in Adam when this happened. Conception is not creation. We were created in Adam. 
And God said to you as Adam, he said, right, you're my son, I'm your father. And just as Pharaoh said to, to um, Joseph, he said, you will rule my kingdom by your word. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And so that is actually why we pray. Because God as a father delegated authority upon the earth to us, his son. And that's why words are so important. So that's why we pray. Now, in Hebrew culture, the breathings of life are in the blood. That's what it says in Leviticus. The breath of life is in the blood. And Adam's blood was pure blood and it reflected the presence of God in his being. And the crown was given to Adam. You all wore a crown. There's a crown at the back there. You wore a crown as the sons of God. And it was God's purpose for you that God himself as a father would dwell within your heart. And you as the son of God and God as father would dwell within you together and he would rule the world with you from the throne of your heart. That was God's purpose for you. And that's why he created you to be father and son. And that's why, we, that's why it's so important that we speak blessing. It says in scripture that we should never speak curse. I'll come back to that a bit later on. Now then, um, unfortunately things went wrong. Now we all know about the fall, but what we don't understand is the role that the serpent played in the fall. Because God, just as God speaks words of love by his breath, the devil speaks words of lies by his breath. And in the ancient world, um, demons were actually worshipped as gods. Okay? Demons were worshipped as gods. But actually a demon isn't a demon or a god. It's the breath of a lying word. Okay, so Satan speaks words of lies. A demon or a spirit of or a breath of rejection is actually the breath of a lie. And what the devil's hoping is that anybody will actually believe that lie and receive that breath so that that lie is incorporated into their personality and it echoes rejection out into the natural world and denies the truth that God is love. That's why it's so important that we don't agree with the lies of the serpent. Now our mum, Eve, was a lovely, lovely person. The problem is she was so trusting that she trusted in the lying breaths of the serpent. And so as the devil made his lies, you know, uh, witch tree, blah, blah, you know, you shall not surely die for God knows that in the day that you eat of this fruit you uh, you will know good and evil. Eve started to entertain those lying words within her personality and she started to imagine that actually the devil might be trustworthy and God might not be. That's what actually happened. And so she reached out and took the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Now if you remember, Joseph was given authority by Pharaoh and he said to, uh, Pharaoh said to Joseph, you will rule my kingdom. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Unfortunately, what Adam and Eve did is they took the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and that's something that only God should have because he's the only one that decides what's right and wrong. 
we let God decide what's right and wrong because he's our father. And so they, they uh, ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And it, what, what they really did was they sat on God's throne. I'm going to be God. I'm going to decide what's right and wrong. And of course everything went wrong. They ate the fruit which corrupted their blood. Now the breath of God was, was living with inside Adam and Eve. They were actually full of God. And so God left them because they rebelled against him. And it left them open to the lies of the serpent. And of course, the first thing that they did was they blamed, when, they, when God questioned them, Adam blamed God and Eve, and you know, Eve blamed the serpent, and, and, and everything went wrong. And it says in Lamentations, Woe to us, for we have sinned, and the crown has fallen from our lives, uh, from our heads. So, so that left them um, subject to the father of lies. They, uh, they established what's called in, in Scripture the Adama, which is the fallen dust of the earth. Oh dear. Now Jesus said this, he said, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. He said to the Pharisees, You brood of vipers, how are you able to speak good things? Because you are evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man speaks good treasure from his heart, and an evil man speaks evil. And I say to you, every idle word that a man speaks will be held to account on the day of judgment. If you remember that Adam was given a crown by God, and that crown wasn't taken away, unfortunately, because of the fall, the crown they wore became a crown of thorns. And so everyone alive today is still wearing a crown, but actually it's a crown of thorns. Because they are still inadvertently partnering with the father of lies. Okay, so, so I want you to imagine um, a forest full of little thorn bushes, gorse bushes or thistles or whatever. That's how the world became. It was a world of thorns, little thorn bushes everywhere. Some of these bushes were very thorny. Some of the bushes had only a few, but they were all thorny bushes. They were all descended from an original thorny bush. And there's nothing that they could do about it because it was in the blood corrupted blood. And what God did uh, was, he imagined if he spoke to a little thorny bush, this great big vine, and said, leave your forest of thorns. Leave this land of thorns and go to my vineyard that I will show you. And I will let you uh, experience my wine. And if anyone spikes you with their thorn, I'll crush you in my wine press. And all of the families of the thorny bushes will be blessed with my wine, just like you. That was the blessing of Abraham. God spoke to Abraham and said, leave your father's house and go to the land I will show you. It came by revelation. It didn't come, come by any, anything else. And he started to experience the fatherhood of God. And that changed his blood. It changed the way he behaved. It changed his nature to be a foreshadowing of the nature of Jesus because in Genesis it describes Jesus as being the son or the heir of Abraham's blessing. And Abraham's blessing was poured out on the day of Pentecost. So the crown that was originally worn by you in Adam that was lost at the fall because Adam and Eve partnered with the father of lies and started to wear a crown of thorns was actually replaced on the day of Pentecost. If you remember 
the, the, the breath of God came down and there was tongues of fire, that was the power of the anointing. And if you remember in Isaiah 61, it said of Jesus, it said, the breath of the, the sovereign Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to proclaim freedom for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, to proclaim freedom and um, garments of, of joy uh, and the rest of it and to bind the brokenhearted. And then it goes on to say, and then the ancient ruins will be rebuilt. The ancient ruins, of course, is the fatherhood of God. And so it says in Isaiah uh, 9, it says for us, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And his name shall be Mighty God, Father, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace and Wonderful Counselor. In Hebrew culture, dare I say it, this is not the Holy Trinity. In Hebrew culture there's no such thing. There's no such thing as the Godhead, there's no such thing as three in one. That, that's interesting, that's church culture, but that's not Hebrew culture. It doesn't really matter so long as you understand that Jesus is actually God and also the son of Adam, the son of Abraham and the son of David. Now it says in Zechariah 14, it says the Lord or Jehovah shall be king over all the earth. And in that day there'll be one Lord and his name will be one. Now it says in scripture, um, in Acts, that, that the Israelites rejected and crucified the son of David. It says that, that he was rejected by the foreknowledge, and the fore, uh, fore, foreknowledge of God. God actually chose the cross because he wanted to reveal, the cross is actually the center of the universe because he wanted to reveal how depraved we are as the sons of Adam with our fallenness and our crown of thorns, corporately, all together, we were responsible for Jesus' death. But God chose to reveal his love. Okay? Because he loved us so much that he was willing to take responsibility for our sins and wear our crown of thorns so that we could be re restored with the crown of glory. I mean, what a, what a basis of a relationship. You know, we put Jesus to death, he rises from the dead, he forgives us, he blesses us, he gives us his crown and says, come on then, let's get back to God. Fantastic. So it says that God actually couldn't save directly. Because he gave authority, because he gave authority to Adam and Eve, he had to come as a man. The price of sin was so great that only God could afford to pay it, but God couldn't pay it, it could only be paid by a man. So God himself came as the son of Abraham and the son of David. And what God did was he made amazing promises to these two guys. He said to Abraham, to you and your heir, I will give the land, the land of Canaan, the land of shame. Canaan means shame, but it wasn't the land of Canaan, it was the land of the indwelling presence of God as a father in our hearts. The cursed land that it talks about in, in Genesis was actually the curse of Adam's personality. It wasn't the soil, you know, the ground. It was actually his personality that was cursed because it would no longer naturally be kind and loving the way it originally was when he was full of God's breath. So if we get back to Zechariah, it says in Zechariah 3, it says this, 
and the Lord showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of God and Satan was standing at his right hand to resist him. Okay, now religion teaches that the devil's been defeated. Well, that's only half true. The devil is the father of lies. We're the ones with the crown. Right? Now, in our, in our room here, we've got power sockets. Uh, it's full of power. But unless someone plugs in and switches on, nothing's going to happen. And it's the same with the devil. He needs people to partner with him. And so when you see these terrible things happening in the news and people say, well, you said in your church that the devil's been defeated. What about all these terrible things that are happening? People are still agreeing with him. People are still partnering with him. And actually, just because we've said the sinner's prayer doesn't mean that we don't partner with him when we agree with him. And some of you here are actually wearing crowns of thorns because you're actually agreeing. I'm no good. Uh, I, I, no one loves me. I'm rejected. I'm condemned. I could have done better. I've made a mess of my life and all these things. If you remember, Jesus was crucified in place of Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a murderer. Uh, he'd done lots of bad stuff and he'd been partnering with the devil. Barabbas means actually son of the father. And so Jesus actually died in place of Barabbas. And maybe there are people here, maybe some of your problems are self-induced. Maybe you've done bad stuff, we all have. Some of you have, have agreed with the devil without realizing it. All we need to do is to come to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, you know, I've agreed with the enemy, but not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. Yeah. And what Jesus does is he forgives us and he cleanses us. And what he does is he takes away the devil's legal right to afflict. If you, could, if you could see the throne of grace, it's like the stock market. It's absolute pandemonium. There are literally millions and millions of angels and sadly demons going backwards and forwards up to God with mandates because people who have authority have spoken words. Okay, now it says in, uh, it says in Genesis 26 that when Abraham died, the Philistines blocked up the wells. Okay, now that's not a nice thing to do. These Philistines were actually demon worshippers. I, I won't go into it, it's in my book. But they were actually worshipping these, the, the, these demons. And they were partnering with the devil and they blocked up Abraham's wells. And it says that Isaac reopened the wells of his father. It's like reopening the wells of revival. Father Abraham had already dug the wells, but the enemy had blocked them up. And the first well was called hatred because the Philistines hated Isaac. And the second one was called strife. Okay, so we can reopen the wells of revival. We can have revival here today. All we need to do is to unstop the wells. We need to stop speaking words, stop speaking negative words against ourselves. There are people here, maybe you've cursed yourself. Inner vows, I will never love again, things like that, you know. No one loves me, I'm not good enough to be loved. You see, there's truth in that. You say, oh, I'm not good enough to be loved. The devil's favorite lie, that you're not good enough to be loved. It's kind of true, in a way, but it's not true. It becomes a true lie as we receive it because God's love for us is not based upon whether we're lovable. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. He loves us whether we're lovable or not. Barabbas was not lovable, yeah. you know, um, but God still loved him, but God's love changes us 
so that we actually do become lovable, but it doesn't make any difference. God still loves us. And so what we have to do, if we want to unstop the wells of revival, is to make sure, and it says in Peter this, that that we stop speaking bad stuff. It says, finally, live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate, do not repay evil with evil or unsold, but with blessing, because to this you were called to inherit a blessing. Whoever would love life and see good days, he must keep his tongue from words of evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good to seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are attentive to that prayer. Okay, so that's a little bit about rebuilding the ruins. So I've got this, uh, I'm going to read this out to you. This is how I approach life. Okay, so Chris can read this out. If every time I face a specific trial in my life, I become anxious and fearful, I began to function in opposition to the truth of God's fatherhood and love. This means that there is a true lie that's been established somewhere within the breathings of my personality. I may not be aware of how that lie entered my life or how old I was when it came in, but it has become an established part of me and it gives the father of lies right to access my heart, to withstand my miracle and make my life a misery. The power of that lie will influence my thoughts and emotions and my behavior will degenerate because I have agreed with it and to me that lie is true. So through Jesus, I need to come to the throne of grace, to God as a loving Father, so that he can forgive me for agreeing with the Father of lies to expose the root of that lie, to cleanse me from unrighteousness by healing the heartfelt brokenness through which it came. Embracing God's truth within the present binds the strong man, expels the lie, and changes my future experience by releasing the miracles and blessing that God wants so lovingly to bring. This is the battle of life. The devil has been legally defeated. Okay, we're clear about that, but he's still telling lies. Okay? So there we are. Now that's, um, so, um, that's a little bit about rebuilding the ruins. Hallelujah. So I'd like to talk to you, I've got a little bit of time now, I'd like to talk to you about my book. This is it, this is my version, okay? Right? So, um, Inheriting Sonship, okay. Now, let me tell you a little bit about me. My earliest memory is sinning, okay? (laughs) I remember when I was two years old, I was in nappies, my mum was flushing my nappy in the toilet and she was telling me how important it is that you never flush the toilet when you are sluicing a nappy. And like my forefather Adam and Eve, my hand reached out to the box handle and I pulled on the handle as hard as I could and I remember my mum going eek eek as the toilet filled up with water. My life went downhill after that. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I was saved at the age of 21, not in a church, I didn't hear the heaven and hell gospel. That wasn't what changed my life. I went into the garden one day and I picked up a daisy 
And as I looked at this daisy, it was like paradise, just kind of welled up within my heart. And in a moment, my, my destiny changed. Hallelujah. So I gave my life to Jesus, and I kind of lived in a kind of bubble of glory for six months. It was fantastic. But then something terrible happened. The devil stole my crown. And this is how it happened. I, um, I used to smile a long time ago. <laughs> a Amy tells me off for worship. When I worship, I don't smile. But I used, to, I used to smile a long time ago. So I didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. I didn't know anything about anything. But I was playing my guitar and I was singing in tongues. It was fantastic. And my dad, who wasn't a Christian in those days, came into the bedroom. And I felt ashamed. And I put down my guitar like the Israelites put down, hung up their harps, you know. I put down my guitar because I felt so ashamed in his presence. And when my dad left the room, I didn't realize, but the devil came in. He said, you are shameful, he said. Jesus doesn't love shameful people like you. And it seemed so true to me that in that moment, that lie came into my heart and my experience of paradise disappeared. And it left me for 25 years. That's how long. But the day I came back through the door here at the bay, Alan and Andrea prayed for me. I got my crown back. It was a lie. It was a lie. And what's happened is the, the um, I couldn't play the guitar either. I played the guitar in the bay because something happened to me. So there's, a, there's an anointing above us here, um, which I've put into writing. Okay? I, wasn't, I haven't written sonship from myself. I didn't have sonship when I, before I came here. But I've put the anointing of the bay into writing. And so what it is... Um, in my time here, God's started to ask me questions. People talk about the name of Jesus. Well, what do you mean? What does, it, what does name mean in Hebrew? What does Jesus mean? What does faith mean? And all these things like know and see um, and hear all actually mean something different in Hebrew culture to what we're used to. So, for instance, when it says here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, in Hebrew culture, the word here means obey. In Hebrew, it actually means to see the name. So when you don't obey someone, you're not listening in Hebrew culture. So, um, so what I do is, um, uh, there's plenty of copies at the back, it's 20 pounds, um, it's on uh, Amazon, it's on Kindle. Um, I go right through from the beginning. I start with the culture of Abraham the Hebrew, and so I talk about ancient religion, the worship of the sun, moon, and the stars, and, and all the rest of it. So starting from Babel, uh, I talk about the rise of religion, the sacred bull, the constellations and the stars, sacred numbers, golden calves, um, Jericho, and so forth. And then I do uh, ancient Hebrew thinking, so how the Hebrews thought, totalities, and all that sort of thing. Speaking words, soul full of spirit, oaths, listen and understand, wisdom, counsel, foolishness, touching hearts, names, people's names, blessings, curses, righteousness, heaven, uh, and so forth. I go through Hebrew understanding and family, so what it means, son, what father means, what temple means, Zion, 
the stronghold of God's love, that's what Zion means. Uh, daughters, the wilderness, the grave, the death of the righteous, honor, family, name, nakedness, inheritance, and I go through all of that. I go through covenant, covenants between people, covenant, breach, eating together, uh, shalom, peace, gifts, justice, uh, judges and justification, traveling merchants, and I've got all the stuff about God, so what God means in Hebrew, fire worship, idols, Jehovah, oil, anointing. You know, we talk about anointing. The question is, what did anointing mean to King David? We talk about Christ and Christian, which is Greek culture. We need to understand what the anointing meant to King David. And I was talking about breath and word. Actually, if you want to know what the anointing really means, God spoke a word of blessing over the king, and the fragrance of the anointing oil entered into the breath of God, and God permanently breathed the word into David's heart and changed his life into a victorious king. That's what the anointing means. And if we have the anointing of God upon us, we will bind the brokenhearted, we will set the captives free, we will proclaim liberty, and we'll take away oil, uh, um, the garments of despair and bring the garments of joy as a people so that the anointing dwells upon us. And so when people come here, they'll experience that because the power of the anointing, the same anointing as upon Jesus is upon us. So that's what it means. So I'll go through Jesus, what Jesus means, what Christ, Emmanuel, the altars, fear of God, and so forth. And then I go through what redemption means. Now in redemption, for the Hebrews, redemption meant dancing in a circle. In other words, you get back to where you started. And Adam and Eve did not sin in heaven. They did not fall like lightning from heaven like the devil did. They gasped out the fatherhood of God when they sinned. And so redemption brings the fatherhood of God back into our hearts. That's what it actually means. And so I go through fruit, trees, and seeds because we are brothers with Jesus. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn. We are brothers with him. God's original purpose for Adam, the devil and his purpose. So I talk about the devil and his kingdom and all, all the rest of it. Um, and Abraham had two sons. He had Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael represents the dust of the earth. Isaac represents the stars of the sky. So I suppose it's up to us which one we are, you know. Uh, so I go through all of that. And then what I do is I explain John 1, John 14 to 17, Acts 1 to 5, the whole of Ephesians, the whole of Galatians, the whole of Colossians, the whole of Hebrews, and the whole, the whole of First John from an Abraham's cultural perspective. So if you've got any religion in you, you won't have any by the time you finish this. <laughs> and then I talk about words of promise, words of breath, words of life, the blessing of Abraham, the anointing of kings, Pentecost, so you'll know all about Pentecost, it's all in here, and what it means to inherit sonship. So I'm going to read you the very last little bit of my book. So, here we are. So I think someone's going to talk about end time stuff. Well, I've got a little bit of end time stuff in here. At the end of days, the Son of God will consummate his marriage to his heavenly bride and become eternally one with her by eternally uniting the word son with God's breath or inspiration of the Holy Spirit of sonship. 
To them no scroll is sealed, no door is locked, no promise left unfilled, nothing, nothing is beyond their reach, reach or out of control. They share in Jesus' name, they share in his destiny, crown, throne and inheritance. The second rising or death has no power over them. They are already glorified and eternally filled with God's life. The river of life flows from the throne of God's fatherhood and of the Lamb into the hearts of the bride or the city of God or the corporate son, all of whom are able to freely eat the fruit of the tree of life. They become the living flames, the lamps or the lights or the images or the reflections of God's fatherhood. They are the leaves of the trees planted near streams of living water, whose leaves are always green and that become the healing for the saved of the nations who've been refired or purged by the fires of God's judgment and who walk in the light of the city of God. The sons are the living words of God's breath. They are the scrolls of Lamb's, the Lamb's book of life. They are images and reflections of his glory. This is because their name or character or behavior or acts or words or achievements are an expression of the very life and love that God has as their own real and dear indwelling Father. God himself will exercise dominion upon the earth from the throne of their hearts that he will partner and share with them so that in the ages to come he can truly and practically teach his sons what it means to be called by the name the Son of God. Jesus, the anointed and chosen and blessed one, says to anointed and chosen bride, Come, you who are blessed of my Father. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. He who is hearing, let him say, Come. He who is thirsting, let him come. He who is willing, take freely the water of life. There you go, that's the last little bit of me book. Thank you. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to invite Alan to just read the foreword because he wrote it. Alan, would you like to come and just read this please for me? Uh, we're, going to pray that, we're going to pray for you that your crown of thorns will be replaced by a crown of glory. Yeah. Okay. Or, uh, just uh, as much as you like. Just yeah. I, I did the forward of the book um, because th this, is, this is what it is about being an apostolic church. We empower you <laughs> to fill your destiny. You see, when Paul walked through the door all those years ago, instead of just seeing what looked like a black cloud over him, we managed to see through the black cloud into his destiny. And we began to believe with him that change would come. And it has. And it's a privilege. So I have read this book a number of times with all of the many, 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 many times he's changed it <laughs> and added to it. But Alan, there's another revelation. All right, Paul. Um, I believe this book is going to change the world. That's why I put my name to it. It says, I have had the privilege of knowing Paul for many years. I remember the day he walked into the Bear Church for the first time. Immediately caught my attention. It wasn't necessarily in a good way, but um, immediately caught my attention. He looked quite unassuming. Oh, I was quite polite, wasn't I? <laughs> Distant, not interested. 
And as the meeting went on, I watched Paul's spirit begin to change and come alive in a new way. For him, it come alive in a new way for him as the presence of God began to impact his heart. From that day to this, his journey, he has committed, he has committed to discovering what it is to be a son of God. And the impact that he has, that, and the impact that this has made on his life has been incredible. Once you start a conversation with Paul, you get to see the fire of his spirit, his intimacy with the Father, and the revelation. And the revelation he's received in his heart. Although this is Paul's first book, it's not quite actually. He did another book. But he only did two copies. I got one. And his natural father got the other one. There's a book on the book of Revelations. It was an incredible book. Although this is Paul's first book he has published. It says uh, that he did write another one on the book of Revelation. Ha. Huh. He has now gone on to write a book on sonship, looking at Abraham as the father of fathers. There's more, but I'll let you read it when you buy it. I just, for me, um, as I say, this is about being an apostolic church, but it's also about journeying with each other, to partner with each other, to believe for each other. And um, this book, at this moment in time in history, carries a message that the world needs to hear. And the message is sonship. It's much, much deeper. This is a revelation that at this moment in time, the world needs to hear. And it's a message of sonship. It's a message that was there in the beginning. And I believe God's restoring again to his people to understand what sonship really is. So... I have no hesitation in recommending this book. Uh, I have already sent two copies to two canons in the Church of England, canons of theology. <laughs> They're good friends of mine. I'm not trying to put them right, but I want them to receive revelation. And I, I mentioned it to one of them, and he said to me, Alan, I'd love a copy of that. There's another friend of mine from Liverpool. He, he's been on to me saying, Alan, where, when can I get a copy? I said, after today. <laughs> it's being launched today, after today. So if this isn't even not your bag, there'll be people you will know that you can pass this book on to and bless them with it. So this isn't a promotion for the book, but it is a promotion for the message. It is a promotion for the message, the revelation that has come through Paul. And I have to say, he's done a good job. Um, I'd love to say I understood it all, but I'd be lying. And I don't want to partner with lies. Um, so there's a lot in here I didn't quite understand. And uh, especially the graphic stuff in the early days about what, how people used to worship other gods. It's all in there. And put, really does help put stuff in perspective. So they are available at the back. And maybe even Paul might write something in it for you. I don't know. Let's not do that. Otherwise you're going to be busy. Let's do it. <laughs> if you want to buy a book, he'll write something in the front for you. There you are. We're going to do that. So are you going to pray for us? Are we going to pray? Well, how are we going to do this?
tell us what you want to do. You've got your own mic. Yeah, um, well, I've kind of run out of time, so uh, I was going to pray that... Um, do it. I'll just pray. Well, I, um, okay, so God wants you to know his love. In Hebrew culture, all this religious stuff that we're bombarded with is cobblers. Okay? It's you and God, Father and Son. Jesus is both. He's our God, but he became a man so that everything that Jesus has got is ours. All we have to do is to make sure that we don't partner with the father of lies. And if we have done, we allow Jesus' blood to wash away those rights that we've given the devil so that there's nothing between us and God. Hallelujah. So, Father, I just pray that your love... Stand together. We're I just pray, Father, to receive this. All I just pray, Father, cool. that your love will impact our lives in a new way, that our very name will become blessed of the Lord, that we will bring blessing into everybody's lives, that we will reflect the image of the glory of the indwelling yes. Father, that each of us will be filled with the glory of God and will go out into the world and shine with God's love and change people's lives just by being around. So, Father, lift, lift the, uh, the uh, eyes and the crown of thorns from people's lives and replace it, Father, with your wonderful glory, that this will be the beginning of something new, that we will enter into realms that will never end. Oh, Father. Father. Amen. Wow. Now, let's, um, I just want to put one or two things right. The first two things you said. You are a preacher, so I'm going to put that right. And you are an author. I want to put that right as well. And what I'd suggest is if you didn't know Paul, um, get to know Paul behind the unsmiling face. There is a man who is passionately engaged with God and uh, he has an amazing heart. Uh, so even if he's not smiling, don't let that put you off. Uh, go for him anyway because inside he's, he's beautiful. He's beautiful. So let's give him some encouragement and we'll finish there. Come on. Bless you, Paul.